I'm Pastor Ron, one of the pastors here, and excited to share with you today about out of Psalm 149 and 150. I just want to start, though, by saying thank you. Thank you for being God's church. The last few weeks, you have shown yourself over and over and over as an example of what a church family should be and of what God's church should be. And so on behalf of my family, and um, just thank you. And thank you for coming out Friday and supporting Robert and remembering Robert. And my prayer is that people that came that didn't know Jesus Christ would, have, would see that and would have heard about Jesus Christ and would know the truth of Jesus Christ. So thank you for being God's church um, in such a great way. This morning we want to turn to Psalm 149 and 150 as we conclude the teaching portion of our psalm series. Next week we'll do a reading service and a worship service, but as we conclude the teaching portion, it seems appropriate to go to the end of the book and to come to the conclusion because the psalmist, as they, as they put together this songbook, they ended it with five psalms that were concluding songs, songs. Psalms of praise and worship, reminding us of how to worship and an attitude of worship and how important worship is. And one of the things that I firmly believe is that God right now is doing a work in the church in America. Coming out of COVID, coming out of some of the the different rules, regulations, and, and harassment of the church, God's church is alive and well. And God's church is doing His work, but what is essential to that work is an attitude of worship is an attitude of praise. And so at the same time, what I'm seeing, and we'll talk about this more in our next sermon series, but what I'm seeing is Satan attacking worship and attacking praise more than ever. Because if he can keep us from worship, if he can keep us from praise, he can keep us from doing the work of God. Because the two are completely linked, as we're going to see even in the text today. Let me give an example of this of just how easily we can, we can be distracted from worship. Think in your head, and I'm not going to ask for, for answers on this one. Later in the service we'll do that. But think in your head, what could keep you from worship? What could keep you from praising God? Or maybe what would distract you from worship? If we want to get really personal, was there anything this morning that distracted you from worship? And as we begin to think that way, we begin to see, okay, what, what could Satan use to distract us? What could the evil one use to get us off mission, off track of what God wants us to do? Maybe it's seeing someone that spoke an unkind word to you during the week, and you can't get past that in your head to worship. Maybe a certain instrument is too loud, or this morning we struggled with the speakers and whether one was blown or not, and, and I was distracted before coming into the service, but praise God, by the time we sang, your voices actually just just brought that, brought a beautiful time of worship. Maybe it's events at home that morning. Maybe it's the argument in the car that suddenly stops as we come in the driveway because we're a perfect family. I don't know what it is, but what could distract you from worship? Maybe it's trials in life and challenges in life. All of that is an attempt to keep us from worshiping and praising the King of kings and Lord of lords, which is where the power of doing His work comes from, which is where relationship with Him comes from. And so we do come to the last two psalms in the book of Psalms. 
psalms of praise, psalms of worship. And the title this morning is to choose praise, to not just let praise happen to us, but to make a conscious choice to praise and worship our Lord because He is worthy. To make a choice to not let anything get in the way of worship. Because quite honestly, as we go back to one of our other series, anything that gets in the way of worship, anything that distracts us from worship, we are worshiping more than God. And so if we come and we're like, oh, I can't even worship today because of X or whatever it is, that now is an idol that has replaced worship of God. And so when we talk about worship, when we talk about praise, we are dealing with the affections of our heart and the priorities of our heart. And so we come to these psalms that often are are just sort of psalms we read at the end because they're psalms of praise and just make us feel good, but they have deep deep theology in them too. Deep instruction for us as God's people. Now just to give an idea of where we've been, we've we've over the last three months, we've hit a lot of different kinds of psalms. And we've gone all the way from Psalm 1 now to Psalm 149 and 50 and everywhere in between. And, and we've talked about different kinds of psalms and psalms of lament that end up choosing praise by the end of that psalm. We've talked about psalms of the Messiah and psalms of prophecy. We've talked about some psalms of praise. We've talked about some psalms of wisdom. Last week we talked about the psalms of ascent, which were preparing our hearts for worship. And now we come to the last five books, and these are the, the, the doxology psalms. They're the final Hallel psalms, praise songs, And all five of them just form a fitting end because they all start and end with praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's really interesting. In Hebrew, you might recognize the word hallelujah. And so when we sing hallelujah, we are singing praise the Lord. Hallel is the verb for to praise, and yah is short for Yahweh. So it's to praise Yahweh, to praise the Lord. And so sometimes we call these the hallelujah psalms because everyone reminds us of praise and worship. So turn with me to Psalm 149 and 150 if you're not already there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one under a seat right around you. We'd love for you to take that home and have a Bible and make sure that you you have access to God's Word. But Psalm 149 and 150, two different psalms in these last five, the doxology psalms, the concluding songs of the songbook. And these songs together remind us that praise and worship are essential to the vitality and work of God's people. Praise and worship are essential to the vitality and work of God's people. Praise is not just an added thing to make us smile and feel good. Praise is essential to our walk with God. It's essential to our life as a church. It's essential to doing the work of God. So we come to Psalm 149, and there's more we could look at, but this morning we'll just look at these two. I'm going to read Psalm 149 in its entirety. And then today's a little different. Rather than you know the normal three-point ser- sermon or whatever, I just have some observations about worship. Worship is near and dear my heart from my years as a worship leader. And so I want to make some observations of what we can learn out of these psalms. And we have eight of them this morning. And so we'll go through those and just pull things out. But let's start by reading Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. 
For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. We'll get to that. (laughs) To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all His godly ones. Praise the Lord. And so in the first of the two we're going to look at today, we see a song of praise and a song of doing God's work and what He had for them. And we'll talk about what He has for us. But it starts with praise the Lord. And I talked about hallelujah. But that word praise means shout for joy. Okay, it's, it's, it's not saying God is cool. God's really awesome. The idea is to shout for joy and to get excited about something. To, to boast in is part of it. So when we, when we praise God, we're boasting about God. We're boasting about how great God is, how incredible He is, what He's done. And, and we are just lifting Him high, but with excitement. As we, um, I don't know if any of you like college football. Um, think, think football fan. College football fans, especially if you get in the Midwest, like Nebraska, Oklahoma, and some of those, it's like religion. And, and, and they boast in their team, and everything's about their team. And you just don't see them sitting there like this when their team scores a touchdown. Right? If they do, what do you think? They're rooting for the other team. <laughs> right? And so that's this idea of praise, is to get excited about, to boast in, to shout for joy. And so today as we come to this, I want to look at some insights on worshiping together, on praising together, on shouting for joy and boasting in our Lord and Savior together. So verse 1 there, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. The first observation is probably one of the most obvious observations. This is a call to worship. Coming together to praise is commanded. Coming together to praise is commanded. It is not optional. It is not something that I can do in my home by myself for very long because the the idea of praising God is that the assembly comes together and praises God. Now, I can worship at home too, and I should do that, but it needs to have the assembly as part of the mix. And we see that with praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. And so when you see that, that word at the end of that, praise in the assembly of the godly, the gathering of the godly, this is an essential part of our praise. In fact, even the word sing there, sing to the Lord is a plural word. Y'all. Y'all sing to God together in the presence of each other. And so we see how important it is to come together. Even this morning as we sang and your voices rang out, And at times I could hear you all higher than the worship team. That was a blessing. That helped then me worship. And that that then is something that shows God's people praising God, having faith in God, trusting God, lifting Him high together. You know, back to the, the football metaphor. If you're the only one in the stadium cheering, that's awkward. That's just awkward. It's a lot of fun, though, when 50,000 people are cheering. 
And so here we get to cheer God. We get to praise Him in community. A couple other observations on this point and out of this verse. Um, worship is commanded. It's, it's praise the Lord, sing to the Lord. Those are imperatives that basically mean do it. You know, Nike, just do it. Just praise the Lord. Just sing to the Lord. And it doesn't matter how we're feeling. Sometimes we wait for worship to come to us. I want to feel the vibes. I want to feel right and then I can worship. And that's not biblical. The biblical instruction is praise and worship. Choose to praise no matter what you're going through. Choose to praise no matter what you're feeling. Because as you've heard me say before, we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling, but we rarely feel ourselves into a new way of acting. And so if I'm struggling with events that are going on and loss and things like that, that's when it's so important for me to choose to praise because the act of obedience changes my heart. The act of obedience affects my feelings. Man, if, if we waited till we felt like worship, how often would we? Maybe sometimes if we stirred up enough emotions, if we got you going enough. But worship is something we choose to do in spite of circumstances, in spite of distractions. We obey and God blesses that heart. So praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. One other aspect of that is sing to the Lord a new song. And, and it's, it's right there in the middle. And, and this, I think, speaks in, in a nutshell to the whole worship wars that were happening 20, 30 years ago. Do we sing old songs or do we sing new songs? And the answer is yes. Because here's the irony. The command here is sing to the Lord a new song. And let me explain that a little bit. Um, what it's referring to here, and we're going to see this in verse 4 as well, and, and throughout the Psalms, throughout Isaiah, throughout a number of passages, we see this command, sing to the Lord a new song. And it's almost always tied with a new work of the Lord or with a work of the Lord in our lives. And so someone is saved or salvation comes to a people or God does a work to rescue and they wrote a new song. And, and God is pleased with that because it's a creative response of the passions of our heart to what God is doing. And so we see this over and over in Scripture. A new song usually came from a new situation. It's usually found when God intervened somehow. And our response is, let's add to the songbook. Let's sing it out. Now, not all of us should write new songs. But God has gifted His body with people that write songs. And, and even as we come out of COVID, I'm starting to see just a new batch of songs with a different depth and a different message for God's church because we've all dealt with something very different. And so, so we sing a new song. Over the years, as I've, I've um, led worship, talked about worship, talked with you all, we often love the songs most from when God did the most in our lives. I don't know if you've noticed that. And I go back to some of my favorite songs I can tie to events. I can tie to different tragedies we had that God brought us through, different ways we saw God's faithfulness. And so the, the new song motif here is a valuable one and an important one. It's actually a commanded one. We should be singing new songs, especially when God does a new work in our lives. Now, let me show the other side of that. Do we get rid of old songs? 
Maybe if they're bad. But um, <laughs> no, we also sing also, where is the command to sing a new song located in Scripture? In a songbook of old songs praising God for his faithfulness. And so the very location of it and the very command of it says we're to sing new songs and we're to sing songs that remember what God has done in the past. And in fact, I think you can argue from Scripture as we look at humility and putting others before ourselves and as we look at new songs, but yet we have 150 ancient songs that are inspired by God. I think we could easily argue that if we neglect either one of those, we are neglecting a part of worship that God intends for His church. And that is a dangerous thing. And so at Village, we've chosen to sing a blend of songs. We sing songs from... Um, we sang a hymn this morning from, I don't know, 100, 200 years ago. We sang songs from 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We sang a couple songs from this year that were written this year. And, and, and I love Almighty God because that's one of those new songs that's coming out of seeing His sovereignty and seeing what God is doing in His church now. And so we see in God's Word, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. Out of that, don't neglect corporate worship. Don't neglect coming together to worship our King. We get to the second verse and our second observation about worship. Let Israel be glad in his Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. And as I read that, the observation there that that I think of as I think of worship and my heart for worship here, we want to get past ritual and duty and enjoy God in worship. We want to get past ritual and duty and enjoy God in worship. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. So you have the words be glad and rejoice. This is just enjoying God and relishing God. This moves beyond duty. I have to sing three songs, sit down, sing three more songs which we did this way, I know, we did the, the same thing. It's not saying we can't do the same thing, but when it becomes ritual in our head and we forget to enjoy God, we've lost the heart of worship. We've lost the power of worship. And so right in verse 2, let Israel be glad in his maker. Enjoy God. Praise him for who he is. Let them rejoice in their king. Now, we, we see even some hints in this verse of how to do this. It, it's, it's, not, it's not a forced, but it's looking at who God is. Let Israel be glad in his maker. And the focus here is the one that not only made everything, but made the nation of Israel. Not only created the world as we know it, but adopted you and I as children of God by his grace. And so part of this is enjoying him because we focus on what he's done. And that's a theme that's going to come up several times in these two psalms alone. Rejoice in their king, thinking of that he's a trustworthy king, that he's sovereign, that we can have peace in him, that he is ruling. And so as we begin to change our focus from the distractions and things around us to what God has done, adopting us as his children, giving us salvation, king of the universe, then we start to marvel in Him and enjoy Him and rejoice in Him. I think, I think one of the questions out of this verse is to say, is my worship forced or enjoyed? 
Now, you might say, you, you already said choose to worship no matter what you're feeling. Absolutely. And, and so we may, in some situations, start to just force ourselves and choose to worship. But then where is my focus after that? If the whole time I'm gritting my teeth and saying, Pastor Ron said, um, now, now I'm doing it out of ritual and duty. But if the whole time I start to say, okay, what does that song say about the heart of worship? What does that song say about the King of Kings? What does that song say? And, and as I begin to change my focus from here to here, the enjoyment and the rejoicing will come. I think about relationships. Think about friendships or marriages. What we focus on is sort of how we define the relationship. If we focus on all the things the other person has done wrong and all their faults, which, which I praise God, I, I, I don't have any faults in my wife to be able to focus on. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Got to get some credits there. <laughs> But in a marriage, you could focus on all the faults because you know each other better than any other human being on the planet. Or you can choose to focus on all the amazing things about that person, the things that attracted you to them, the things that you love about them. Your choice of focus will often determine how much you enjoy them. Same is true of worship. Same is true of God. Focus on what God is doing, how he's working, how amazing he is. You know, again, as we change our focus to him, the other thing that happens is we get our focus off of ourselves. And it's so easy to be self-conscious in worship. And we'll talk about this going into the next point as well. And we can be self-conscious. And what do people think if I sing? And my voice isn't perfect. And all that means our focus is in the wrong place. If our focus is on God and enjoying him, none of that matters. We can just let loose and worship. Because we're, we're worshiping God, not each other. So instead of being self-conscious in worship, be God-conscious. Focus on Him. We get to the next three verses, three through five, and, and this deals with, okay, how do we worship? We're, we're, we're commanded to worship. We're making a choice to worship. Um, we're, we're worshiping together. We're getting past ritual and duty and enjoying God in worship. But, but how do we worship? And this is going to come up in the next psalm as well. But in this psalm, I say, worship fervently with exuberance. Worship fervently with exuberance. And I want to read these because I think a lot of, a lot of times we can come from very conservative backgrounds or very Baptistic backgrounds where it's just really hard to have exuberance in worship. I mean, the fact that I raised my voice and said, praise the Lord this morning might make some uncomfortable. Well, we, we, we need to, to praise the Lord. And so we need to worship fervently and with exuberance. And listen to this description. Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. I thought about dancing. <laughs> I thought again because I love my children. <laughs> and, and they will pay me not to dance in front of you. <laughs> But we're to praise his name with dancing. We see David dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And this isn't a dancing like we know in the world today. And I understand there's a, there's a lot of just really horrible dancing. This is just a dancing of joy with the rhythm in, in a non-sexual way, but in a God-honoring way because we're excited about God. Making melody to him with tambourine and lyre, two examples of, of instruments. 
For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. And so we see praising God's name, lifting His reputation, lifting His character high. Again, focus. Focus is on God and His name. We see that done fervently and with exuberance, with joyful dancing, with instruments, with exuberant expressions of praise. I love it when I see our congregation just praising God with abandon. And I'm not asking for weird stuff. I know the dangers and I know where other... I know. But it's okay to be excited about God. It's okay to say praise God. It's okay to raise your hands in worship. And you can even do it more than this. And it's okay not to raise your hands in worship. The focus is on God and how do we show Him praise. And I don't want anything to stand in the way of a, of a godly worship that praises and exalts God. Again, it comes back to, to think of the football game. Scores a touchdown. What's everyone doing? High fives. And, and not that we do high fives in worship, but you get the idea of praising God. Praising God. We see in verse, verse 5 there, let the godly exult in glory. They're joyful in the presence of God's glory. They're exulting in it. Let them sing for joy on their beds. And, and the idea there is that even when they're going to sleep, they have an attitude of worship. They're singing in their house. They're singing at night. It's just part of who we are because we're excited about who God is. And again, this isn't just an irrational emotion but it's based in His name. It's based in that He's created everything. It's based in that He's the King. And in verse 4 there, the end of verse 4, it gives the, the reason for exuberant worship. He adorns the humble with salvation. Or He adorns the lowly with salvation. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, He saved you from death. He saved you from eternity in hell. So you can be with Him in relationship for eternity. Is that exciting? Amen. It's okay to say amen too. That's exciting. That should blow us away if we really believe it. And that's the center point of this worship fervently and with exuberance. He saved us. And we didn't deserve it. We're lowly. We didn't earn it. But He saved us. And that's the motivation for fervent worship. Another observation out of verse 4, which is, is just, it's a little thing stuck in the middle there, but I think it's so powerful. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. God loves when His people worship. God loves it when His people worship. And the context here is worship, and so the Lord taking pleasure in His people, it really looks like He's talking about when they worship fervently. When they sing loudly when they praise Him. And, and the, the idea that we can make God give Him pleasure is really quite incredible. That we can move God's emotions towards us. And, and, and again, think at home. Think of parents with kids. Do your kids ever give you pleasure? Yeah, when do they give you pleasure? 
when you see them making good choices, when you see them doing the right thing, when you see them following God. In the same way, God takes pleasure in His kids, in His children, when He sees us lifting Him high and praising Him no matter the circumstances. Then we get to the the last half of this psalm, and this is a more difficult half. And and sometimes I believe it's been abused in, in the church, in history, in crusades and different things. But we have to understand what's going on here. And I'll read the the four verses again, starting at verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their throats. And so singing, they should be singing loudly. And two-edged swords in their hands. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. And as we look at the context, we have to understand Israel is either in captivity or coming out of captivity at this point. The prophets have have promised that God will make things right and God will justly judge the nations, right? And that he will use his people to do that, especially when Jesus returns at the second coming that we're still looking forward to. And and so the idea here is, is I think the, the best way to look at this is this is what God is looking forward to at the end of the age. The end of time. And, and God is going to judge sin rightfully. And he's going to use his people to do that. And so when we start to understand that was Israel's hope, the question for us then, how do, how do we apply this? This doesn't mean we go start judging nations. And we pick up swords. There's some at the door on your way out. No, that's not what this means. This is referring to how do we do God's work now? And what have we been told is God's work now for the nations? It's to go to all the nations and preach the gospel to everyone. It's to to disciple the nations for Christ. And so we are now an extension of Jesus' ministry here during the church age, trusting that he'll take care of the sin ultimately in the future. And and so to, to understand this psalm, I don't think we throw away those four verses. I think we say, what is God's work for us? What does God's work for us now? And so observation five there, praise is preparation for spiritual battle as we do God's work. Praise is preparation for spiritual battle as we do God's work. It's interesting because the psalmist is tying praise and praising God with being able to do his work. The two are linked together. If we're not praising well, we're not doing God's work well. I can guarantee it. If we are praising well and with the right spirit, not just with empty emotions, but with understanding who God is and with lifting Him high, that then fuels doing God's work. The two go together. And we see that here, even in verse 6, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Sing praise to God and, and be ready to fight spiritual battles and do His work. And so... As we look at this, part of praise is preparing ourselves to do His work. To, to fight principalities and powers of darkness, spiritual battles, as we see in Ephesians 6. In the, in the Old Testament, worship and, and battles were always together. Do you remember crossing the Jordan? Who went first? The priests with the ark and trumpets and singing. They went first. When, when, when they marched around Jericho, what was the center point of that marching? 
There was a guard up front and a guard in the back. The center point was the ark and singing and trumpets. Let's go to battle. Okay, singers, come on over. Uh, that's not what we signed up for. But that's how God works. Because the praise of God empowers His people. And so worshiping is a key component of spiritual warfare. God honors those that praise Him, and He honors those that do His work. And one of the things we, we did last week, and it wasn't singing, but it was an act of worship as we prayed for, for the start of, of Awana this last week. Because that's a, a work that God is doing here, and we want God to be part of that. And so in our worship service, in our singing, we took time to pray for that ministry and pray that God would touch that ministry, disciple our kids, and bring other kids to know Him. And it was just exciting to see Wednesday night as leaders came in at the end of the night. They're like, there were so many kids here. There were kids here that don't know Jesus, but they're going to hear about Jesus. And, and God used our prayer and God used our worship last week and began to answer that by bringing kids in to hear the gospel, by bringing you all in as workers to share the gospel with them and disciple. And so we worshiped and we prayed and then we did God's work. That's what the psalm is talking about. We move on to Psalm 150. And Psalm 150 is sort of the doxology of doxologies. It's a fitting end. In fact, the only verb used in this entire psalm is praise. And it's used over and over and over, close to 15 times. It opens and closes with hallelujah, praise the Lord, there's praise Him nine times in there. It, it, it's just all kinds of, of praise in this psalm. And so we, we end our study of psalms with this psalm and with a couple observations out of this. The first verse says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. And I, I've broken the psalm up into the where, why, how, and who of worship. And the where of worship? Everywhere. Okay, there is no place where God is not to be worshipped. Praise Him in His sanctuary, referring to His dwelling place on earth. And, and as we come together and praise Him, so it's again community, but just the idea is as he, as he is on earth, and then the second part, praise Him in the mighty heavens. That even those that the angels and those that are in heaven should praise Him. And so where is God to be praised? Everywhere. It's the widest possible range. And, and that praise is mingled together in this beautiful symphony of praise as His glory fills every space. The why of worship as we look at verse 2. Because of His work and character. And I've already mentioned this, but he, it, it comes up again. Because of His work and character. Praise Him for His mighty deeds or His mighty acts, His work. How is God working? Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. And this comes to the attributes of God and the character of God. And so if we want to say, okay, why should we worship? What should motivate us? That's where we start to think. That's where we start to focus. Remember His works. And, and, and so many times we think, what has God done for me? And that's, that's part of worship. How has He saved me? But the, the word here is a bigger word to say, what has God done globally? What has He done in the universe? What are God's mighty works? And, and so I, I want to spend just a couple minutes. We're, we're going to run out of time, so we'll do this quickly. And ask you, what are God's mighty works you've seen? 
in your life or in the broader scale of things? How has he answered prayer? How has he worked? Popcorn. Tell me about God's mighty works. Financial provision. Salvation. Amen. When we don't deserve it and can't earn it. What was that? Healing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Healing. Amen. Amen. What he's done with COVID, thinking he shut down the church, has opened up the church. Amazing. I'm, I'm hearing stats from churches that not only is attendance up, but online attendance has continued. And so there are more people hearing the gospel now than there were two years ago. Ha, I love it. What else has God done? Freedom. Freedom, okay. We can worship here. Safety. Restoration. That is miraculous. If we think of human relationships when when there are broken, torn relationships, the fact that God can restore those, it's amazing. And the fact that God restores us to Him... When we, in, in our sin, have turned against... Yeah, that's, that's miraculous. Comfort and great sorrow. Comfort and great sorrow. Hope with that. Creation. Without creation, none of us are here. <laughs> it's the obvious statement, but it's huge. Creation out of nothing. This begins to expand our mind of who God is. Jim, did your, was your hand up? Kids who love the Lord. And so we start to think of God's mighty deeds and that helps us worship because now we're focusing on what He's done. And we have to be careful not to focus on, on my good life, but what has He done? And, and we praise Him for that. What about His character? The second half of that says, according to His excellent greatness. And it's, it's, it's talking about the greatness of God, but that can encompass a lot of His characteristics. Tell me about the character of God that helps you worship. Compassion, right? What was that? Faithfulness. Sovereignty, amen. Love. What were those? Trustworthy. What was that? Steadfastness. I didn't hear. Imminent, okay. My kids tell me I don't hear as well anymore either. (laughs) Sovereign. Kindness. Kindness. And now, do, do, do you feel what's happening in your heart right now? As we focus on what God has done and and who He is, man, we just want to praise. We just want to praise. And that's where we go if we want to have the heart of worship, is focusing on the right things. His work and His character. We come then to verses 3 through 5, and I labeled this one 3B because it's how again. How do we worship? And very similar to the the prior psalm, praise God enthusiastically together in a variety of ways. Praise God enthusiastically together in a variety of ways. Listen to this, and the, the way that this is constructed, it's supposed to build on each other and add weight to it, okay? So it's like, Oh, there's one instrument. Oh, two, three, twenty-five. You know, it's supposed to build. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. 
Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And you see a crescendo there. It's more and more and more. And it's saying, man, we, praise should be enthusiastic. It should be together because those instruments are all together. They're all different instruments, different people. And it should be in a variety of ways. You don't have 20 harps there. You have, you have a variety of instruments. And there's so much we can learn out of that. But there's this cumulative effect that should make us think a whole orchestra praising together. Now, for a whole orchestra to sound good, you've got to be on the same page. And that's why we started with the work of God and the character of God. That's the page we're on. And do our songs reflect that? Do our songs reflect us struggling with that and praising God for that? But we see the community coming together. In fact, even the the, the command praise Him there, in every case, is a plural command again. You all praise Him with the trumpet and with the lute and the harp and tambourine and dance. And what that means is if I I happen to play the lute, which I don't, but if I happen to play the lute, I shouldn't get upset with someone that plays the trumpet or likes the tambourine or or, um, strings and pipe or cymbals. But they all together come and form a beautiful symphony of praise to our God. But there's an aspect of unity, like I said. We need to be on the same page in what we're playing. We need to be on the same page with each other. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you come to the altar to worship and you know you have something against your brother or sister, go make it right and then come back and worship. And so, man, village, if we have things brewing in us and as, as a, any family can have, they need to be dealt with and talked through so we can have a heart that worships. We praise God enthusiastically together in a variety of ways. And finally, observation 8 is out of verse 6 there. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who should praise? All who breathe. All who breathe. That covers most of us here. It covers everyone. Everyone that God has put the breath of life into in Genesis 2, everyone that He has, has, has created is to worship Him. To breathe, to sing it out. One last thought that I, I want to end with. Everyone on this planet, everyone that breathes will bow. Everyone will worship. The question is whether they'll do that willingly or not whether they'll do that out of a joyful heart because they are entering into the rest with God Almighty or whether they'll bow and worship because they realize they were wrong and are entering eternal punishment. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so as worship team comes up, because we want to end with some worship, I want to challenge you to say, yes, everyone that has breath should praise the Lord. But let's do it because we love Him. Let's do it willingly. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, what He has done for you is greater than any other person or being will ever do for you. Because He took us when we were sinners, when we deserved death, when we deserve the penalty for that, when we deserve His anger, His wrath. And Jesus lived a perfect life and said, here, let me take your place. Let me take that punishment. 
And as he hung on the cross and all of our sin was on him and that punishment was on him, that act of love offers you salvation. And if you don't know him, today's the day to turn to him. Today's the day to give your heart to Jesus. Because then these will be more than just songs. These will be songs of praise to your dad, to the one that saved you, to the one that makes us his. Let's stand together and just overflow with who he is in a flood of praise. Lord God Almighty, our King, our Savior, we praise you. We choose to praise. Yes, we will praise you no matter what, God. Because you are worthy and you are the one we rely on. And you are the one whose work we want to do, Lord God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the deeds that you have done. We praise you as your sons and daughters. In your name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Love for you to stay to one of our classes. They're on the screen behind me. Stay, study God's word together in community. And let's, let's enjoy our Lord and Savior. God bless.